think recovery coaching has has brought that richness to uh, to the recovery field because it's very practical. It's a very practical approach. It's led by the person. It's their needs, and it's not necessarily coming from a prescriptive place of do this one and then do two and then do three. You know, it can go all over the place. They're modelling recovery. They're showing people it's possible. They're giving people hope. They're navigating systems with people. They're connecting with people. They're bring. They're opening up a community for people. And ultimately, as we always talk about, they're helping people to build up their own capital. Uh, they can do social activities together, knowing that they have a safe person with them doing that activity. You know, knowing that if a, a temptation comes their way while they're out and about, they have somebody with them that, you know, they can, you know, be a bit more uh, in control of what they do and what, what they say. Um, if you didn't have someone that showed you through your teens or your early 20s how to kind of budget for a household, how to get your weekly shop, clean your clothes, all these kind of practical skills that we all assume are automatic and of course they aren't. This is how it was for me and somebody showed me so now I'm going to show you. So it really is, as I say, somebody to walk the journey with you and that doesn't exist in treatment services. Welcome to Let's Talk About Recovery, a series of talks with Professor Johanna Ivers and recovery coach and founder of Recovery Hour, Sandra Losty. The series of talks has its origins with an International Women's Day collaboration with the professor and the recovery coach, where they talked about the point at which the science and the lived experience meets. Hello, my name is Sandra Losty and I am a recovery coach and the founder of Recovery Hour an online support space for uh, people in recovery. And I am joined again by my co-host, Professor Johanna Ivers. Say hello, Johanna. Hello, I'm Professor Johanna Ivers. I'm Assistant Professor in Addictions at the School of Medicine in Trinity. And I am the Dean of Civic Engagement and Social Innovation for Trinity College Dublin. Lovely. And so today's topic, we're going to talk about recovery coaching. Recovery coaching, love it, absolutely love it and want more of it and want to hear more about it. And Johanna, talk to us about what does the literature say that we know so far about the benefits of recovery coaching? Well, will we just tell everybody what a recovery coach is for the people who don't know? Okay. So a recovery coach is a person who literally coaches another person through recovery. Um, they're a buddy in recovery, a person who is on a journey um, longer than the person they're coaching um, and they're modeling recovery and they're helping them navigate systems like health systems, community systems, what it was like for me um, and literally walking in their shoes. It's important to say that coaches don't get into diagnosing people or, you know, they're not clinically uh, well in certain settings, they're not clinically trained, but for what we're going to talk about, we're talking about peer-based recovery coaches. So people who are, are identify themselves as being in recovery, um, medium to long-term. So anywhere two years, five years, 10 years plus. Um, and they are literally, as I say, coaching someone through it. There are variations across globally. Um, some people are not in recovery um, and they give a more generic style of coaching. But I think what we want to talk about today is peer-based recovery coaches. So people who are in long-term recovery, medium to long-term recovery, 
helping someone along the process. So to answer your question, I suppose the, the early evidence is showing that recovery coaches have made, you know, have been quite effective in terms of aiding uh, coaching for individuals, helping them to build capital, to connect with services, as I say. But equally, they've shown great promise um, in terms of reducing the burden on the health system. Um, So reducing the number of times that someone might present to hospital because they're, I suppose, in guiding people through a process, you're, you're giving them the kind of the heads up and what we see is people are connecting more in the community health services. So primary care, general practice, community-based treatment services and staying away from the health system, which Mm -hmm. overall is is quite effective in terms of of treatment provision. So I suppose in terms of the scientists, recovery coaches have increasingly been utilised in various settings. So we're starting to understand them um, in terms of as I say, hospital settings, clinical settings, homeless services. Um, and just to say, myself, yourself and, and Professor David Best are running a current study on recovery coaches looking at people with complex needs. So it can be anybody um, with an addiction need, a you know, coming from prison, linking with the homeless services. So a person who generally has a number of needs that they need to meet. Again, we're seeing great promise with, with coaches in that in that sense. In terms of policymakers, I suppose what I just said a moment ago was really um, important. When we start to alleviate one system, we can hopefully contribute to another. So taking the burden away from the, the emergency rooms or the A&E and diverting those into treatment um, can be a, a real positive. Um, and as I say, is showing promise. We're, as I said, we are in the early phases the studies are new, they're small, um, but again, in terms of potential, showing lots of potential there. And just, I suppose, in terms of treatment professionals themselves, the literature is growing and it's always important to, you know, for clinicians, counsellors, addiction um, practitioners to keep an eye on what the evidence is saying. So if you were to look at it at the moment, what I would say is it's showing great promise. It is a system that will I imagine bear a lot of fruit in the future, but we are in the early days, but the evidence is, is good. It's good, Mm. but it's early. So that's the caution. Um, And so for, for people wanting to know what's new in our field, I think this is probably the newest uh, addition. And I say new in terms of science, but not in terms of lived experience. So when we think about coaches, one thing that will come up is, um, you know, how they differ or why they work. So they work again, because like I said, they're modeling recovery. They're showing people it's possible. They're giving people hope. They're navigating systems with people. They're connecting with people. They're bring, they're opening up a community for people. And ultimately, as we always talk about, they're helping people to build up their own capital. Mm-hmm. So that's why they work in the same way as why fellowship works, you know, um, so the AAs, NAs, uh, smart recovery and such, they're the reasons why that works. And in parallel, similarly, peer-led treatment is very promising and can bear a lot of fruit. Um, I suppose, and you're probably the better person to answer this, but because you are all things recovery coaching now. So do you want to tell me or tell everybody what coaching um, 
means to you and 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 the benefits you're seeing from from people that you're training and coaching mm. yeah i think uh, the recovery coaching training that i did and uh being a, a life coach for many years the the skill is is quite similar you know it's it's asking good quality questions and then listening you know and taking the direction from the person you're sitting in front of or walking alongside of, you know, if you're going there for a nice walk and um, listening for what the next good question can be. But I, I don't mean that in a not listening thing and then just waiting for the next question. I mean, a question that moves the conversation along, you know, helps the person move on what it is that they're thinking about. So I think recovery coaching has has brought that richness to uh, to the recovery field because it's a very practical it's a very practical approach it's led by the person it's their needs and it's not necessarily coming from a prescriptive place of do this one and then do two and then do three you know it can go all over the place we talked a couple of times about if somebody wants to make an improvement in their family life you know, or their work life or their training, um, building up a skill or something like that, that can have massive positive impacts on the rest of their life. That can can snowball into the rest of their life. So I think recovery coaching uh, brings that, it just brings that in a, a more friendlier way, a very user-friendly way, a service user-friendly way. And if we're looking at it from, you know, as you say, we already have this and I would kind of, you know, be a subscriber to sponsors and fellowships. And I'm not quite sure what they're called in, you know, the smart recoveries. I'm, I think there may be facilitators, but th- those people who are maybe there a little bit ahead of the, the individual and you only need to be one step ahead of the person you're helping. You know, like you don't need to be, you know, 10 steps ahead of them. But very often they would have done those kind of things. They would help that person maybe prepare for an interview or get a job or have a conversation with a family member and wouldn't have called it that. But the primary role of a sponsor in a fellowship anyway is to help the person through the 12-step program. And the 12-step program is a program of, of change and it's a reflective piece. It's very much a reflective piece. So it won't necessarily draw out I'm really good at uh, art or I'm really good at photography or I'm really good at uh, problem solving. I don't necessarily bring that out where somebody can say, I wonder, is there a job that I could I could get around that? You know, so I think recovery coaching has broadened out the capacity of the different roles that a person can step into as a recovery coach. So. People can be social. They can go on a walk together. They can go to the cinema together. Uh, they can do social activities together, knowing that they have a safe person with them doing that activity. You know, knowing that if a, a temptation comes their way while they're out and about, they have somebody with them that, you know, they can, you know, be a bit more uh, in control of what they do and what, what they say. Um, and I think that's what the, the recovery coaching has brought to the field is that it's widened out the roles a person can play in the life of a person who's stepping onto a recovery path. Excellent. And I think that's a a great sum up of, you know, from the lived experience, what, what we can garner. And as I say, 
taking the essence of what's worked in in fellowship and uh, mutual aid programs across the board and as you say morphing it up and identifying I suppose from a treatment perspective what it adds is a whole other dimension Mm. you know because we talk about you know there's treatment providers and there are many players in the treatment providing or provision Um, but I think having somebody to teach you the life stuff is something Mm. that we know is absolutely crucial because I know even when, you know, back in the day (laughs) when I worked in the clinics, um, but back in the day, um, or often, and, and again, this is something that runs through the literature is that, um, people talk about what caught them out is the life stuff, you know, because, you know, treatment prepares you for the big stuff, you know, it it prepares you for it as they talk about the people, places, situation. So it gets you ready for, you know, don't go into this setting because this might happen. You know, don't, you're going to have cut ties with that person because they triggered this. And, and so it can be relapse prevention is, quite effective um but it's quite narrow and often what I would have heard people say was I just caught caught out with life because nobody showed me I didn't know you know I let the bills mount up I was doing really well and then I let the bills mount up or I was living in an accommodation and then it got taken you know got re I, I, I suddenly maybe the landlord sold the property and just having to kind of do the day-to-day stuff caught people out because nobody actually showed them that. And I think yeah. it's very important because we can always think, and, and you know, I think back at the, the early noughties when we were all talking about the, you know, rehabilitation and this notion that people were going to be, you know, relearning stuff. Because if you look at rehabilitation, that's what it means. It's it's to re kind of, you know, train something or or fix, you know, fix it back up. But I think what recovery does is it recognizes the fact that someone may not have had that ever. Yes. So in other words, if you didn't have someone that showed you through your teens or your early 20s how to kind of budget for a household, how to get your weekly shop, clean your clothes, all these kind of practical skills that we all assume are automatic. And of course they aren't. Um, you know, if that so for me, you know, having a coach means that it is that little intricate detail of, well, this is how it was for me and somebody showed me. So now I'm going to show you. So it really is, as I say, somebody to walk the journey with you. And that doesn't exist in treatment services. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really important for people to kind of get those skills and, and not feel shamed or bad for not having them. Um, so having someone say, listen, I didn't know how to do that till Joe Blog showed me, so I'm now showing you. But anyway, yeah. uh, so I do think they bring a whole other dimension to treatment services, um, but quite an effective one, I think. And we'll see that coming down the line. I'm confident with the science. So, yeah, they really are adding something new um, mm. from a treatment and scientific perspective. Um, just on the, as you say, just on the life things, like I remember the first time going into a coffee shop and uh, like it was after a meeting and going into Bewley's. And I mean, like Bewley's was, I mean, Bewley's was. Highbrow. High, high absolutely. High functioning. Absolutely. The academics <laughs> Like there was this. You definitely <laughs> have to have a folder under your hand when you're going into Bewley's. <laughs> 
so so that I mean and again you know when I think about it now but but it was like it was a big deal a big deal yeah. going into somewhere like Bewley's or into one of the hotels in O'Connell Street that we would have popped into for tea like I, I was never in any of those kind of places you know they 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 weren't there in my area and I didn't go into town because I, I didn't go anywhere you know um so that was a big deal that was a big deal and sitting down and panicking going I drank tea at the time do you remember when I used to drink copious amounts of tea absolutely um <laughs> copious amounts of the stuff but um but I remember thinking oh my god have I got the money for a a, a cup of tea and yeah. being surrounded by people who were drinking cappuccinos and lattes I didn't know what a cappuccino was I didn't yeah. know what a latte was right so, <laughs> so here I am 28 I suppose 29 at that point and feeling wholly inadequate that I didn't know that what the price of a cup of tea was in a, in a cafe you know, so I could only imagine what that would be like for somebody who may have went, you know, felt, oh, I'll just pop into Beulies for a cup of tea because I'm in recovery now. And that panic hitting them and and not having somebody to go, Jesus, you know, what am I going to do here? Or, you know, that that's it, something that could very easily trip somebody up. Yeah. And, and I mean, if we just for the listeners, I suppose, follow that thought like it is. It may seem like quite a superficial thing of, oh, I'm in the middle of Bewley's and I've never been here before, but it's it's what that brings up for you, you know, so it's the notion of, oh, I've never been here and I'm 29. And what does that mean? Well, you you start to question and then the shame and the stigma and all the rest creeps in because do I deserve to be here? Should I be here? God, I'm getting in my own head about a cup of tea. All of the madness that goes with that and can kind of spiral someone out. So what starts out as, as I say, a pretty small life event can just take someone out from those feelings of shame and inadequacy. And that's been there, you know, and we've talked about this. If you're not dealing with what's behind it, um, you know, you really need to be to be looking at that. And so for me, that's what the coach does. You know, it is it is a, a little kind of, you know, added layer of protection, I think, for people as well. Yeah. And I think the coach can, you know, really zone in on those kind of areas, you know, um, really sit down and, and think about, well, what's the what's the plan for the week or what's ahead for the week or whatever. And and coach that person through that, you know, literally coach that person through that. Because I know from my own experience, I would have just kind of went along. People just went, come and go for a cup of tea. And you're feeling a part of a group and you, you go along. And um, and then somebody paying for a cup of tea for you, like just, you know, they know that you're, you're not working. I wasn't working at the time. They know you're not working. There's no expectation that you're you're paying for a cup of tea kind of thing. They're, they're buying you a cup of tea because that's just that's just how they roll. But there's no conversation about it. You know, there's no prep. There's no kind of like, no, you can't pay for that because I want to be independent and I want to pay for my own cup of tea. And then this big thing going on, as you say, in the head can take me out all over a cup of tea. But at least with coaching, you can sit down and explore those kind of things. How would that feel if somebody offered to buy you a cup of tea? You know? And, and take that through, a, a, you know, scenario building or a possibility building exercise. And, it, you know, a phrase that winds me up as, you know, uh, is, you know, person-centered care, because often it isn't that person-centered. But I think when we talk about coaches, 
again, you're bringing it back to that. It has to be about the person because they're yeah. setting the agenda um, and it's it's led by them and their needs. So it, it is, again, to use a phrase I don't like, uh, person-centered and, and, and peer-led, you know. Yeah. Um, so that has to be good. Yeah, very much so, very much so. Uh, you mentioned there around the the study that's happening with Professor David Bester and yourself and myself involved there. And I suppose I would like you to tell the listeners why you specifically are interested in in looking at this area. What What is it that interests you of all of this? Well, I suppose on a on a on a global level, I'm I'm interested in um advancing recovery um and making sure that recovery can be as as kind of accessible um as it can be um so i think for me it, it was about seeing this evolving yeah seeing it as an emerging science seeing it as a, a treatment process if you want to call it that um that kind of that was showing promise um and I was very aware that it wasn't happening uh, in Ireland. Now, just to acknowledge that I know that the Recovery Academy of Ireland have since trained coaches. Um, so that is happening also in Dublin. And uh, But I suppose our, our stuff, just to say, did predate that. But so great stuff going on um, in Dublin. But our, our studies based in Cork. And I suppose when you're asking me why I wanted to do it, it was exactly that, A, to advance recovery globally um and b because it was a, a treatment process that was showing promise um and it is something that i see as an opportunity to align the treatment services with recovery mm-hmm. and what i mean by that is often in ireland particularly we talk about treatment and what i mean by that is you're either talking about detoxing someone so stopping drug use or reducing drug use um uh, which is commonly referred to as harm reduction so we're always trying to do one or two things but keep a person safe um and in ireland we have this disconnect whereby once somebody has reached a goal whether that's the threshold to be stabilized on a drug or to be detoxed and abstinent from a drug we tend to see that as the job of treatment but I think what we've been talking about for the last few weeks is is the life stuff. So what happens people once they get to the goal that they want, whether their recovery means that they're stable on a drug or they're, you know, uh, abstinent. Once they choose that, they're then looking at trying to add a quality of life, engaging in education, engaging in in, um, maybe the workforce, upskilling themselves developing relationships, developing hobbies, connecting with family, connecting with community, connecting with society, and all that recovery capital that we talked about. And the treatment services are quite disconnect from that. So there isn't a joined up piece. And I think for me, the coaches show the most promise in kind of, I suppose, aiding that transition from the treatment perspective over to the fuller quality of life and and meaningful kind of life piece. But ultimately, one thing that I really want to acknowledge is the lived experience and kind of holding the person who has done this before and who has achieved what it is that we're trying to impart on other people. So that role modeling piece. So for me, it's kind of a no brainer. You know, it's it's a way to um 
link people to develop that recovery uh, pathways to, you know, morph up the recovery community and to effectively, you know, enhance treatment. Um, so for me, I suppose that's why I want to get involved. Um, so we are developing a recovery coaching uh, program. Coaches were trained, placed in services throughout uh, Cork. And those services, as I say, were were to help support persons in early recovery who had, you know, not just needs around uh, addiction recovery, but also maybe, you know, were experiencing homelessness or had come from prison or probation services Mm -hmm. and needed that extra level of care and support. So again, it's very early days. I obviously don't have any data to report Mm -hmm. on that um, because it's an ongoing study. But I suppose in terms of the bigger picture, I'm very hopeful, as I say, very interested in seeing where coaching goes. Um, I will say one thing that I'd love to see happen, and that is the preservation of the coaches, you know, um, as a buddy, as a role model. Um, I think that that's really important. And in other countries, I said, you know, that are doing this, particularly in the US, the lines are pretty blurred around what a coach is um, and what that looks like. I think we have a really unique um, perspective at the moment because measuring coaching in Ireland is something that's really new. So I'm looking forward to our results and our outcomes. Lovely, lovely. Um, As you were talking there, I was thinking with something new like this coming in and probably is very common when something new comes in, we, we refer back to what we already know, you know, a system or a process that we already know. And uh, like, you know, always oh, a coach, a sponsor, or is a coach, a counselor, or, you know, a- asking those kind of questions. And I know I've had these conversations uh, with yourself and a few of the people around the, I suppose the, the need to allow recovery coaching to come in and be a part of of a system that helps the person who wants to preserve their recovery in whatever way that that is important for them and I was reminded of a time you and I did a course many years ago and um, we we sat in the room and this new thing we were learning uh, people kept referring to their particular discipline as oh, we wouldn't do that in this discipline. We wouldn't do that in this discipline, you know. And I was sitting there kind of going, well, aren't you here to learn a new thing? You're, you're here to learn a new skill or a new, a new art, a new something to add to your toolbox. So I suppose I would say that to people listening, you may not understand recovery coaching 100%. And it may not fit exactly with what your, your previous experience is of supporting people in recovery, but maybe be open-minded to see what this can bring into the space that will help the individual uh, move on in in their recovery. And it was just a big learning lesson for me as well. I do that as well. I'm like, oh God, that's, I would never do that kind of thing. But if I'm learning something new, I have to, I have to make room for it. You know, I have to make, make room for, uh, for doing that. That all sounds very vague, but I didn't want to get too, too detailed. I not want to shame and discipline. I hear you. I do not want to go down that road. I'm just saying, let's all be open minded as to what this can bring and enhance for the individual that we're we're all working towards uh, to uh, to help each other. Um, 
yeah, anyway, that was that was my thing. That was my thing there. Uh, what else do we need to say about recovery coaching for, I suppose, Ireland in particular, as we're, you know, we're probably a little bit behind uh, other countries in in introducing this? Well, I mean, and I'm the first to say that we're probably behind on on a few things, but I think in this case it works to our advantage. We're not we're not flooded with you know an an undefined uh, process or as I say practice. So we're still globally getting used to what a coach is and what a coach is not and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. So I would say in this case, Ireland has the advantage because we don't have a huge amount of coaches. And so having the opportunity to firm up why they work, where they work and with who they work best is always a great thing when it comes to science. So, yeah, I mean, I will talk about lots of occasions when we're on the back foot with stuff, but I think for this one, we're probably in a in a uh, privileged position. Um, so I wouldn't see it as a setback. Again, that's just my OCD and wanting to be able to kind of measure stuff in in the neatest possible way without too many interferences. Um, so I'm happy where we are, where we are at, at the moment with that one. Yeah, and I think what's happening in the US and indeed in the UK, and, and you know I've done my recovery coaching with the Recovery Coach Academy UK from a CCAR program, uh, the Connecticut uh, center there for addiction recovery and you know they are moving into areas that are they're just fantastic you know it's just wonderful that it's it's growing it's growing in areas where where people can be connected with and supported and moved through whatever whatever that that uh, pathway is for them um so it's growing and I think I I'm just delighted that recovery coaching is is growing beyond working with somebody who is in recovery and then you a person saying I want to work with that person because they're in recovery too you know that it's moving beyond that you know Mm -hmm. and that's um and that's just super from from my perspective delighted about that absolutely delighted about it happy days yeah watch this space yeah as I say really really promising um signs I think uh, really one to watch um, showing early signs of great benefits so yeah it's always a good one I suppose just to remind people as well or, or to inform them that you know they might kind of assume that the level of support that a coach gets um, to reassure people that once the training is done that there is a, a kind of system behind people they're not just sent out blindly yeah kind of support other people that they do have they are working within a system of support as well so that they're protected and and the level of vulnerability is protected for them as well. And that's really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Recovery coaching, as I said, watch the space. And uh... I suppose just I suppose we should probably share our vision. I mean, I'd love to see, as I say, coaches at every um, step of the treatment services from the very high risk, high level a and e stuff all the way through to you know college campuses where people have a buddy that can kind of walk them through it because they've been through it before so it is creating that kind of system for people as well but not just seeing them as either putting out fires in a and e or like talking to you about how you know 
they found it to navigate the renting system in Dublin. But, you know, so that there is that, that I'd love to see in 10 years time that when we looked back that there were coaches plotted around the health system um, mm. and then the community system uh, helping people in, in various kind of sectors, you know. Do we see this as uh, people can be employed as coaches, you know, as in that this could be uh, a piece of employment for somebody down the road? Yeah. And again, looking at the international literature, that's what they're doing in the US. Um, So they're paying people to be coaches um, because people have to live, you know, and it's very important. And I know it's really big part of the ethos when you get into recovery to have to give or to want to give something back and to pay it forward. And that's really important. But equally, if we can hone a group of people that, you know, are providing a very necessary support then um you know i would see that as 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 a as a as a, a piece to develop and and create career pathways you know again as i say the science is just not there yet in terms yeah. of whether you're paid and it works and whether you're not paid and it works we don't have those kind of studies at the moment but i myself just looking at it as a system because people have to move on and coaches have to move on so i would love to see a, a certain period where coaches are paid and then they decide whether they go on a, a professional trajectory or not mm. um but absolutely coaches are being paid and i i think that's a good thing yeah no and i do too and i think there's there's a piece within the recovery movement itself that needs to broaden out that uh, you got it for free and therefore you give it back for free. You know, that that would definitely be a, you know, a, a thing that would, would be there for a good reason in, in that it, it keeps people uh, giving back and contributing and, and, and that kind of thing. But in my eyes, the coaching pieces, it is slightly different from that kind of reciprocity that's there from fellowship. You know, it's that it, it, it is quite different. And uh I would definitely like to see that move into that space as well. People, you know, people's time uh, is worth something just because you're in recovery doesn't mean you're free to all and sundry, you know, and um, and to validate that experience. It's actually it's hugely kind of confidence building. And I think as well, you know, it's about placing a value on something Uh, and just to be distinct that, you know, coaching is is much more of an undertaking than sponsorship yeah. um so yeah it is it goes back to valuing stuff and valuing people as well and putting a value on that um yeah yeah that's us i think we have uh, we have explored uh, all things recovery coaching from the lived experience and the the scientific perspective wherever that is at the moment and uh and i just want to say thank you to everybody who persevered with a recovery coaching program and kept going and believing in it because when something is new it can be difficult to you know either gain traction or or get support behind it so to the people who have gone before me i i take my hat off and thank you for for staying the course with it we'll talk next week thank you over now. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Recovery with Professor Johanna Ivers and recovery coach Sandra Lostie.